Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by Eric Kane. And Eric, another weekend of Tennessee baseball winning, another weekend of the dramatics. What a weekend, right? I mean, Friday was slow, 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 so slow. And then all of a sudden, two fun innings. Saturday was pretty, pretty solid game. And then Auburn takes the lead late and the theatrics. Then Sunday, a little back and forth affair. Then some incredible pitching. Uh, another another reason why Tennessee just continues to be the best team in the country. But uh, it was never a dull moment on Rocky Top. And I feel like that's regardless of any sport that is. And baseball is just taking its turn right now. We're going to start with the pitching because I think that's the biggest takeaway. We're, we're going to get it into it individually. Uh, Tennessee does have to play a rubber match for just the second time this season they win on friday night they lose on saturday night we'll get to those theatrics but the the biggest takeaway for me from the weekend is ben joyce how can it not be first high leverage situation of the season first legitimate high leverage situation of the season and he absolutely delivers Uh, he was just he was flawless is what he was, and I'd been wanting to, to see him in a high-leverage situation. We finally saw it, and against one of the better teams in the SEC, one of the better teams in the country, and a, a team that I think is going to threaten to get to Omaha, assuming that their pitchers who were hurt over the weekend turn out to be healthy and are good to go for the stretch. I, I think that Auburn could compete to go to Omaha. I, I really do believe that. I, I think they have the, the pitching, the hitting, and and the one guy that can slug their way to Omaha if, if the right matchup landed in their favor. But against that team that I just described, Ben Joyce puts Tennessee on his back and pitches four scoreless innings on Sunday. He gave up one hit, and he struck out six. All against that team that I described, in a close game, Tennessee jumps out to a 3-0 lead in the first inning. Drew Gilbert hits a sack fly. Trey Lipscomb hits a two-run home run. Tennessee's up 3 to nothing until the top of the fifth. Drew Beam gets the start. He was really good to start the game. Three consecutive 1-2-3 innings. He doesn't allow a base runner until one out in the fourth inning when Auburn singled up the middle. And then... Funny enough, on a 3-0 count of all counts, Sonny Deshera has the green light and was not his best 3-0 swing and grounds out to third for a 5-4-3 double play to get out of the inning. And then Drew Beam runs into some trouble in the fifth inning, gives up two runs. We'll, we'll come back and touch on this, but Tony Vitello chooses to bring Drew Beam back out for the sixth inning, gives up back-to-back walks to start the sixth inning, then gives up an RBI single that allows Auburn to tie the game. And here comes Ben Joyce, 3-3 ball game. No outs, runners on first and second, top of the sixth. Throws four pitches to get out of the jam. Second pitch, a double play, two quick outs. Two pitches later, a ground ball to shortstop to get out of the inning and prevent giving up the lead. And he was just absolutely lights out from that point on. Went on to pitch four scoreless innings, struck out six, 53 pitches, and the radar gun was buzzing galore. <laughs> Just the, the numbers are absolutely stupid. He threw one pitch that was 105.5 on Tennessee's equipment. Not, not the stadium radar gun, 
on Tennessee's equipment that I asked Tony Vitello after the game. I said, hey, how how accurate <laughs> is is y'all's equipment that y'all use where where he touched 105.5? And Tony Vitello said it, it's pretty daggum accurate. So uh, that, if it were a major league pitch, would be the second fastest major league pitch of, of all time. And he threw 33 fastballs on the afternoon, 28 of them were 103 miles per hour or more. He threw 15 pitches that were at least 104 miles per hour, and he threw three pitches at least 105 miles per hour. And I cannot emphasize this enough. It's it's not the stadium radar gun. That is the legitimate equipment that Tennessee is using to analyze and track data. It, it was just – it was an absolute show, Eric. Like Thor out there throwing a baseball, man. I mean, it's it, it's hard to imagine. I mean, it, it's really hard to think that it's possible to to throw that hard that often, right? I mean, you said thirty three of them were fastballs, twenty eight of them were over a hundred miles an hour. Is that what you said? Over one hundred three. Twenty eight of the thirty three fastballs that he threw were at least one hundred three. It just doesn't seem like that could be possible, right? I mean, I, I know throwing a hundred is more common nowadays than it was when you and I were growing up. I mean, back in you know, back when you and I were growing up, it was like I know I'm a little bit older than you, but it was like like you had you had triple digits. I mean, that's it was a roll to Chapman that could do it. Craig Kimbrell can do it when he first came up, but barely he could touch it. That was about it, right? And uh, I mean, now it's common, but I mean to, to throw it that often, uh, that you know, the quantity of that in one outing is just. Um, it's incredible. So I, it, it was so impressive, you know, what he was throwing, the fact that he went four innings uh, w- was incredible because this staff believes he can start. I mean, they're not they're not going to do that, but they believe that he can't be stretched out and he can go more than just being a one-inning guy, a, you know, a two-thirds of an inning guy. Obviously, he went four innings today. So, I mean, that was impressive. But um, just also the fact that you pointed out there, it's like I, I, everybody's been so mesmerized by Ben Joyce this season, as they should be. I'm not taking anything away from that. But it's like, okay, great. They're winning about 10 runs, and a guy goes out there and throws 104 miles an hour. That's cool. What can he do in a close ball game? What can he do in a situation where a guy is called on in the back end of the bullpen to come in and, and get a hold or, or save the game, right? I mean, he got the win today. He pitched four innings. But today we saw that. And so I thought it was awesome. I, I have more confidence in him now than I did before the day started, obviously. Um, you know, I like see it again. Uh, yeah, I think everybody else would like to see it again, but the fact that he came away with the game on the line in a high leverage situation, that was big for him, and uh, he was he was absolutely phenomenal on a Sunday. How does this weekend change change your thinking of Ben Joyce going forward? Just that. I, I've got more confidence in him. I need to see it again. I would like to see it again a couple more times. Again, this is the only time we've seen it, a true high leverage situation, and he was amazing. But I'd like to see it again a couple of times before I'm like, before I feel really, really confident that, you know, he goes out there. And I mean, you know, baseball's baseball. You get hit around a little bit sometimes. I get that. But I've got way more confidence in, in Redmond Walsh coming out, you know, in the back end of the bullpen than I would Ben Joyce right now. And that's after Sunday. And I think that's okay to say because Walsh has done that, you know, his entire career. It is okay to say that. I don't blame you for feeling that way. But after today, I I trust Ben Joyce as much as I trust Redmond Walsh. But and you've seen him do it one time though, one it's, time. It's the stuff. It is sure. the stuff. But I mean, it's, again, he's, it's he's impossible been, to hit. 
but he's been hit. He's been hit up a little bit this year at times, right? I mean, as, it's, it's not as he was building himself up from Tommy John. I, I do. Yeah. It, it's not. Look, and I, I look. I'm. I'm. I am. I, I am going to strongly overreact over these next couple of minutes. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you. I, I am going to react as we have this discussion. Uh, so, although I am overreacting, I I am taking today with a grain of salt, recognizing that it, it is a, a one day thing. But I am willing to go to the extreme to say that hey, moving forward, like I I I do trust Ben Joyce uh, until he gives me a reason not to. Uh, he he just hasn't completely gone out there and peed down his leg. I mean, he's been hit here and there, but it hasn't been like anything extreme. And I do think part of that was him building back up from from Tommy John. And and look, I I still trust Redmond Walsh. And, and the way I described it to you is that there's no, you know, head honcho down there in the bullpen. It's, it's not no. one guy that's going to lead the way. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is like I, I trust Ben Joyce as much as I trust Will. Will Mabry, yes, but Redmond Walsh. Uh, and, and like to me. If the game's on the line, I'm going to have as much confidence because even with Redmond, as great as Redmond has been in his career, there's always that thought in the back of your head that reminds you this dude throws 87, 88 miles per hour. If he leaves it over the middle of the plate, what happened Saturday night when Auburn comes back to win is going to happen. And no. Ben Joyce is, is just a freak. And I guess I, I'm assuming maybe this will come back to bite me in the butt. But I'm assuming that he's kind of broken out of his shell now. And then it's just going to be complete liftoff from here. And it's we're not going to look back. And it's just you can't hit what he's throwing when he is on. And I'm assuming he's going to be on. You can't hit it. You can't hit 103, 104, 105 on top of a ridiculous slider that breaks four feet and is coming in mid 80s. And then you also have to keep in the back of your mind the thought of him throwing a changeup that drops off the face of the planet at 90 miles an hour. Like, that's impossible to hit if his command is on. So I'm assuming that it's just going to be liftoff from here, and he's not going to look back. I mean, that's the hope, right? I mean, he was he was incredible today, and you're right. He's not been bad this year by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying – Today was the first time he was tested, and he passed it with flying colors, and it was awesome. And I want to see it again, and then again, and then again. So, you know, it's not like I don't trust him. It's just you, the he throws 100 miles an hour, 100-plus miles an hour consistently 28 times on a Sunday. Uh, that's what you want to come in in the back end, not necessarily even to close the game in the ninth inning, but in the biggest spot, whether that's seventh, eighth, ninth, and that's kind of how Tennessee does it anyway. Like, you want him to be that guy that comes in just like today, and, and shuts it down, right? And so for him to be that guy, I think that'd be awesome. I'm going to, I guess, for my confidence to be as just as much as a Redmond Walsh or, you know, s- some of these other guys have been doing it so long, I guess I just need to see it a little bit more. But anyway, I mean, that's, I mean, that that's the, that's the dream, right? To have a guy like that that just throws heat and is accurate. And because you're right, I mean, guys just can't, I mean, you can barely touch it. I mean, you're so far behind it. You're, you're barely, or you're scared of it, you know? So, what he did today was incredible. Gosh, if you can get that from him consistently, maybe not four innings, but consistently down the stretch, I mean, just another reason why Tennessee is the best. We, we're a broken record. Another reason why Tennessee is the best team in the country, and it's not even close, right? 
And we'll lump in Saturday night uh, into this conversation because I want to backtrack and remind whoever saw that, hey, I, I was taking up for Tony Vitello on, on Saturday night when people were mad that they did not bring in Ben Joyce because, I mean, it, it's Redmond Walsh. He, he's appeared in more games than any Tennessee pitcher in history and, and has an ERA under two for his yeah. career. He is two saves away from the career save record to tie Todd Helton. And, and yes, he's benefiting from the COVID year uh, to, to help catch Todd Helton. Uh, but still, he, he had a, a lot of saves in his career even before this year. And, and this season alone, he's pitched Tennessee out of jams. I mean, not a ton because Tennessee hasn't been in a ton of those situations. But go back to Ole Miss and, and that Sunday, we can go back to last Sunday. I, I know Christian Moore and Christian Scott and Jarrell Ortega were the heroes offensively, but it was Redmond Walsh on the mound who was getting it done that allowed Tennessee to have those heroic moments at the plate and, and Christian Scott in the field. So even just a week ago today, he was just out of his mind in Gainesville. So I, I understood rolling with Redmond in that situation. He had just pitched a, a terrific eighth inning, three up, three down, didn't show any any signs that he needed to come out. Then he comes out and, yeah, he gives up a leadoff single to start the ninth, but then he bounces back with two ground balls for, for two quick outs and you're an out of way. And then it, it just spiraled out of control really quick. Uh, you give up the – was it the double that, that tied the game? Uh, and and no, I think it was a single because – It was a D single was, to left, yeah. Yeah, and they made the right baseball decision by intentionally walking Sonny DeShera. Uh, the guy, Bobby Pierce, hitting behind Sonny DeShera and, and the guy who hit the three-run home run that essentially won Auburn the game in the top of the ninth, he had been 0 for 8 with five strikeouts in the series to that point. You intentionally walk Sonny Deshera, the best hitter in baseball, to get to the guy that's 0 for 8 with five strikeouts. And, you know, Redmond left the pitch over the middle of the plate, and Bobby Pierce crushed it. So even last night, like it's not like today where we saw Drew Beam losing his command, getting barreled up. I mean, that was a, a gradual thing that everybody could easily see over an inning and a half. That led to a lot of people saying, hey, I think Tennessee needs to go to the bullpen now. That wasn't the case with Redmond. Redmond was good the first 75% of his outing on Saturday night, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control there, and he made two bad pitches, the, the double to tie it and the homer to, to win the game. And I would not hesitate one bit, Eric, to, to go back to Redmond. I trust him as much as anybody on the staff. But after today, I'm willing to overreact and, and say that, hey, Ben Joyce jumps to the top of the list as as well. And I summed it up during Around the Horn by saying I, I think he's going to be a lighter version of Sean Hundley. Uh, he, he's not going to be the go-to guy every single time because Tennessee has so many guys you can trust out of the bullpen. But I, I think he's going to be another weapon like Sean Hundley was. And, and that's just a, another weapon for Tennessee to play with as they pursue a national championship. Again, the more options you have and the more the more lockdown options you have that you can put in those situations, those stoppers, um, just the better off, you know, the, the better position you're in. And again, Tennessee, to Tennessee's credit, man, I mean, it's, it's and it's it's amazing to even say this because, I mean, Tennessee's lost what, uh, four games now. Yeah, four games. Um, so, I mean, the, the, Tennessee's been down before. Tennessee's lost four games. 
So it's not like it hasn't hit any adversity. But for the majority of the season, I mean, Tennessee's not playing from behind. Tennessee's not really in a situation to where you got to go out there and get you three outs, you know, to win a ball game or, you know, to, to, to get through the, the, the meat of a lineup before you hit the back, you know, the, the, the latter third and, and call it a day. And there hasn't been that many opportunities to be like, okay, well, we need this guy in this position, this guy in this position outside of Revan Walsh and, and some of these other guys, of course, you know, Mabry and, and McLaughlin and all those guys, Connell. Um, but just adding another one that throw that's a fire thrower that throws, you know, 103, 104 miles an hour consistently like he was today, just going to make it all the better. So I want to see it again. Every, everybody wants to see it again, obviously. But, I mean, he's going to get those type of opportunities moving forward because of what he proved today. And and obviously he got the opportunity today because of what he's been improved, what he's proved so far this season when he's pitched and those inner squads and all that. Right, and he's getting better each time out. That, that's mm-hmm. That's the other thing, and I think while I – why I have so much confidence in him right now. I mean, go back to last weekend against Florida. I, I can't remember what game it was. Uh, maybe it was Friday night after Chase Burns pitched against Florida. Ben Joyce comes in, and he has a good first inning that he pitched. He, he gets he himself out of a, a jam in the eighth. It was it was Friday night, yeah. Yes, and, and he had pitched a, a clean seventh inning, if I remember correctly, and then he worked himself into a little bit of a jam in the eighth inning. And, and he worked his way out of it. And you and I both sat on this podcast and, and talked about how great it was to see him fight through that adversity and get mm-hmm. out of a jam. So it seems like he's getting better and better as the season progresses. So uh, I, I think he's really going to assert himself this second half of the season. And, and Tony Vitello summed it up perfectly uh, post-game following today's win that all along we have probably brought him along – slower than maybe we we should have or could have with the the thought in mind that we want Ben Joyce to be at his best in May and in June. Well, what's today? May 1st. <laughs> May 1st. And and it's Ben gonna, Joyce it's going to be May. Ab- yes, looks his absolute best on, on May 1st and if they get that Ben Joyce for the next 2 months, Tennessee's going to win a national championship. I I, I will tell you that Right now, you add that, that to the to the rest of the bullpen, yes. to that lineup, to the to the options in the starting rotation. Oh yeah, and I mean it's like a, a trade deadline accus- acquisition. I mean, and it's it, I mean it's like the the Cubs when they won the World Series and they traded for Araldus Chapman. Araldus came in and and it wasn't just him, but some days put the put the Cubs on his back and 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 was a large part of of the Cubs winning that World Series, and you're about to get another trade deadline pickup in a way because they're going to have to make a decision of which one of these four starters are, are going to come out of the bullpen. That That is a decision that is going to have to be made as early as this weekend, I think. Sounds like Chase Dolander is is going to try to get on the mound Tuesday and, and throw some innings just to get some work in and be good to go for this weekend at Kentucky. Uh, Chase Burns. He looked good. Drew Beam looked pretty good. Blake Tidwell struggled this weekend. We'll, we'll get to that. But one of those four guys is going to have to come out of the bullpen for the most part. Again, we, we've talked about it. You'll get into the situation where you need a fourth starter, yada, yada, yada. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge at some point. But just generally speaking, on top of Redmond Walsh, on top of Mark McLaughlin, on top of Will Mabry, on top of Kirby Cannell, 
you're you're going to have Ben Joyce and one of those four starters, and that is just a, a filthy, filthy bullpen. And if you've paid attention to our preview podcast, teams don't have anywhere near the amount of arms coming out of the bullpen that you can rely on as Tennessee is going to have. First of all, it was more than just the Yankee, okay? KB was pretty spectacular in that World Series. Javi was too. I uh, said but no, that. Some, um, I mean, we, we preview these teams every Thursday, man, and this week it'll be Wednesday. Um, I mean, some of these teams are struggling to find weekend starters, right? I mean, those ERAs are inflated, and just like with with Auburn, I mean, the one the one downfall for Auburn in, in its trek to Omaha potentially would be, you know, the bullpen because outside of those top two guys, which Tennessee roughed up a bit this weekend, it's like, what do you got, right? But ten, again, Tennessee just has the quality of depth in the lineup and the rotation and in the bullpen now. And today, again, with what Joyce did, just adds to that. And, and Tony Vitello has been talking about the trade deadline acquisition, you know, about Blake Tidwell before he came back. And now it's going to be about, uh, you know, Dolander when he comes back. And yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's getting to the point, Ben, and I'll say this on a pod, it's getting to the point now where it's going to be not for me, but I do believe it's getting to the point. We talked about this the other day that like it's Tennessee done win this whole dang thing. It's going to be a disappointment because I just, I, there are good baseball teams out there, but no one is nearly as good as Tennessee in all areas of the game. And so baseball is baseball. You win, you lose. I get all that. But I feel like from the general public now, it would be a monster, monster upset. I mean, Tennessee, in terms of the betting odds, win the World Series, just a ginormous lead. And you don't likely want to be in those positions a lot of the time, but that's where Tennessee is. At at worst, you, you got to make it to the championship series, I, I, I think. We, we, we talked about it. Don't want to have another full discussion uh, because there's a lot no. to talk about Auburn this weekend. But uh, – I, I agree with some of that sentiment. Again, I, I described it. If they were to make it to game three and they lose a heartbreaker over that final game of the year and they don't win the national championship, I'm not going to label the season a bust. It, of course not. It's so difficult to win a championship in, in right. any sport, but I mean, especially a baseball that you go through all these. Yeah. I mean, we, we, if, and if you, we see teams year after year that are this dominant that, that don't do mm-hmm. anything. Arkansas last year, wire to wire, didn't, lose a series just like Tennessee is on track to do they don't they don't make it to Omaha I I believe I saw Vanderbilt several years ago 26 and three in in conference play and they either made it to Omaha or or didn't win a game in Omaha something along those lines you see it all the time it all changes yeah you you gotta you gotta finish it and um but I think we do both agree where get to Omaha when it gotta win something yes you 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 do have to you have to get to Omaha and win a game to at least be in the discuss to avoid the bust uh, conversation. No. You have to at least win a game in Omaha. I, I agree, and that'll be something to watch in postseason. Uh, people, I don't think people realize it, but that's a lot of pressure to to play with that regional weekend, and you got three people in your stadium in your city trying to gun you down. That's I remember a whole last year, lot of pressure. Yeah, before the walk-off Grand Slam and what arguably is the most famous of bad in Tennessee baseball history. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, why? I, and again, Wright State's a good ball club because they're in a regional. But I'm like, why is Tennessee losing to Wright State right now? Like, what's going on, right? <laughs> but And then it took a, a heroic type of bat like that to prevail in game one of that. So, I don't know. I hate even talking about this because, again, just the way I view things, the way I am. I just hate just assuming that's what's going to happen because there are games to go. There are regionals to go. There are super regionals to go. And these teams are there for a reason and they're good. 
and again, baseball is baseball, but it's it's just like it's an assumption now. Tennessee will be in Omaha because they're so dang good. Yeah, and they they should make it to Omaha. Uh, point blank, period. We'll we'll yeah. see how it plays out. It it'll be a lot of fun uh, to discuss. So Ben Joyce, my biggest takeaway from the weekend. Uh, Wrapping up Sunday, before we backtrack a little bit, Jordan Beck plays hero. Uh, I, I mentioned Tennessee taking a 3 nothing lead in the first inning. In the eighth inning, the bottom of the eighth inning, Luke Lipsius hits a one-out single, and then Jordan Beck steps to the plate. He goes down 0-2. He, he works his way back into the count and crushes a two-run home run. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was 106.4 off the bat and traveled an estimated distance of 424 feet. <laughs> and it was the bottom of the eighth, so it wasn't the game winner, but proved to be the game winner. It, well, it was, it was the game-winning hit. Yeah, it was yes. the game-winning hit. doesn't matter where right. it is, but yeah. It proved to be. It wasn't in walk-off fashion, but definitely mm-hmm. proved to be the game winner. Jordan Beck had another... Big weekend. I, I thought Drew Beam really battled, Eric. We, we talked about it. Started and looked terrific. Three consecutive one, two, three innings to start the game. Uh, and then just kind of lost his command there in the fifth inning. I, I was surprised that Tony Vitello left him in as long as he did. Yeah. And uh, it, it seemed like Tony maybe uh, thought the same in hindsight as well. But they, they felt good about the, the matchups that he had going on there, and, and that's why they stuck with him. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that he, if you were listening to Tony's post game, sounded like Drew Beam was tipping pitches to Auburn. He, he he threw in the comment that Auburn had some of his signs or some of his pitches, and and then we probably had some of theirs as well. I thought that last part saying that they had some of Auburn's as well was just kind of a, let me throw this in there so nobody overreacts. And it wasn't nothing crazy. Uh, Tipping pitches is a thing that happens all the time for pitchers. Sounds like that was the issue for Drew Beam and something that he'll have to correct going forward. But uh, he didn't have a bad start last Sunday against Florida. It just wasn't the Drew Beam that we had become accustomed to. I I thought the start to this this week's game was far better. The the outings kind of flipped. Flip-flop. Last week, it was start rough, finish good. This week, it was start excellent and then run into a rough patch. Yeah, he was he was incredible. So I've got Monitor City here in the home office. I'm sitting here. I'm I'm pounding away at stuff all day long, working, doing like a million things. And I've got on my left monitor. I'm watching the game. I got it right here. And I look down at the clock, and it's it's so the game started at 1. It's 2 o'clock, and this game's in the fifth inning. I'm like, holy smokes. And a lot of that's because Drew Beam was just humming, man. I mean, he was going so quick. He was working fast. He looked great. Ran into trouble there in that fifth inning. Did not believe he should have came out for the sixth. I would agree with that. But um, here's the thing about tipping pitches, too. And that, you know, that's something that sounds like, you know, Dolander was doing last start. Sounds like Beam was doing this. Start. I mean, at the end of the day, that's on you, right? I mean, if you're if you're a competitor and you're on the other side and you see something that is – you're not cheating, but you're picking up on something. You're 100% going to take advantage of that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's what Tony was trying to essentially say. You got to do a better job of protecting that on your end, right? I mean, that's something that he will. And you know, even even Chase, too. I mean, you're just young. Just the more you pitch, the better you get at that. Um, but, I mean, it was encouraging seeing the way he started. Didn't like the way he ended. But it was it was good to see kind of the 
him respond the right way, in my opinion, from the Florida start. It wasn't a horrible start. Again, five innings, three on runs, not very sexy, but, you know, it, it, it got the job done, you know, at the time until, you know, Joyce came in and saved the day. Looking back at Saturday's game, as if Sunday wasn't enough fireworks with Ben Joyce on the mound, the volunteer fireman, uh, Saturday's game had, had plenty of fireworks and we're backtracking here. We haven't even gotten to Friday's game when Tennessee scored 15 runs. <laughs> Literal fireworks. They shot fireworks off after the game. So Yes, during the game and after the game. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about game two before we get back to game one. We're, we're working backwards tonight. Uh, Auburn wins it late. Tennessee was on the verge of, of winning the series in game two. Auburn trailed 5-4 entering the game, entering the top of the ninth, I should say and tied it with with two outs on a, a double from Kaysen Howe. Uh, we talked about Redmond Walsh's struggles earlier, uh, Eric. Just I, I thought it was just mainly two bad pitches. I mean, there, there was a leadoff single, fairly good contact. I mean, it, to me, that was just kind of something that part of baseball, whatever, it happens. But but then on the double that tied it in and the home run, just two pitches that he left over the middle of the plate, and he got got. Yeah, well, I think there's not an issue here is because – Again, you give up that single, you respond by getting two quick outs. Then you give up the double, you bring one in tie ball game. It is what it is, and then it snowballed from there. But like the way he responded, yeah, I mean, you give up a single, and then you give you get two quick outs. So it just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's not much more to add to that. It's just, I mean, that that's the game. Sometimes, sometimes you get it. Yeah, and all right, let, let, let's talk about this bat flip that got everybody going. Bobby Pierce hits a three-run bomb to to give them the lead, and correctly bat flips. I mean, it, he absolutely had every right to bat flip in that situation. But let the kids play. Yes, <laughs> let the kids play. But he absolutely bat flipped towards the Tennessee dugout, and in a pretty good manner. And Tony Vitello picks up the bat and chunks it back uh, across uh, the, the the backstop to, to the Auburn side, and Auburn didn't like that. And so, Nor should they. Nor should they. Yeah. Listen, here, here's my stance on that. End of the day, as you can see, I was laughing. Um, it's not – I mean, you you do that stuff. I'm not saying bad flips. No, 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 the, no. You, know, you bounce all that. You do stuff like that. Someone does it to you. It is what it is, in my opinion. That's, Here, that's my take on it. I, I agree with your take in general. Yeah. But Tennessee has not bat flipped at a coach or at a dugout this season. There's a difference. There's a difference between bat flipping and putting a nice little umph behind a bat flip towards the opposing coach. There is a difference. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, I'm a huge unwritten rules guy in baseball. I'm 80 years old. But, it, like, even me, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, <laughs> Sure, don't flip the bat towards an opponent. Okay, let's not let's not act like that's not something Tennessee would do because I feel like Tennessee would do that. It had maybe I hadn't done that, but Tennessee that's something Tennessee would do. I could see Tennessee doing. I I thought it was funny, but Tony Vitello probably shouldn't grab a bat and throw it to the other dugout because what if he would have hit somebody? But he didn't. It is what it is. It's not the end of the world. I thought it was hilarious, but I just I because I was texting you. I was watching on TV and I didn't see initially what the issue was. They backed it up and showed the wide shot of it. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, it's a typical Tennessee, right? 
I, I agree that the way that Tony threw the bat back to the Auburn dugout, I do think that that was excessive. Is yeah. uh, it the end of the world? No, it's not that no. big of a deal, but eh, probably shouldn't know. do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. But like, I, I think it's ridiculous that, quite frankly, I do think it's ridiculous that people are equating that to what Tennessee does because Tennessee has not done that. The The closest thing that they've come to doing that was the Drew Gilbert walk-off grand slam against Wright State, and he threw the bat in the air. I, I, I Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I have sat up in that press box home and away this year, most of last year, and have watched every bat flip that Tennessee has done. I have not seen them bat flip towards the opponent's dugout and the coach. He did. Did Bobby Pierce have the right to bat flip? Absolutely. He 1000% should have bat flipped. I, bat flips are awesome. It, it's part of the game now, but you can be excessive with a bat flip. And I thought Bobby Pierce flipping it directly at Tony Vitello was excessive. And I thought the people commenting on Twitter saying that Tennessee does it all the time. They should take it. Yes, they are correct in theory, but Tennessee hasn't gone to that extreme yet. And everybody has a problem with Tennessee rocking the daddy hat, Tennessee rocking the fur coat. Nobody wants to say anything about Auburn players putting on the the, the mascot head. Yeah. It, how dare Tennessee do it? But it's become a thing across baseball in college, and now it's even gotten into the major leagues. The Blue Jays have a jacket that they put on every time they hit a home run. And that's, you see that's in other sports, too. It's in, it's yes, in football, belts. too. I mean, yeah. Yes, but, like, it's really picked up the last year or so since Tennessee started doing the daddy hat. And, and how dare Tennessee do it? But it's it's all cool and whatnot when, <laughs> when, when other teams do it. So I, I do think people were being excessive on social media. I know, shocking, no, right? No, no. That, that, that's never happened before. But to say, I, I just, I do think there is a difference that, like, yes, Tennessee does it to others. They should be able to take it. That is 1,000% factual. But in that particular instance, Tennessee has not bat flipped at an opposing coach. Not at Vanderbilt, not at Ole Miss. It's really hard to do at home because when, when you bat flip at home, it's going towards the Tennessee dugout anyway, so it would be hard to do so. But they have not done that. And to me, there is a difference. I don't know. I guess I guess it just wasn't that big of a deal to me, and and may, I'm probably in the minority here, and that's that's okay. I just and again, I'm a huge baseball unwritten rule guy and, and all that. But I just when I saw the when I saw the video of it, you know the 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 replay of it. I mean, yeah, he's he's bat flipping towards the dugout of Tennessee. It also takes about three skips and goes way over there as well. So it's like, all right, like where it hit the ground, it wasn't in the Tennessee dugout, and Tony's standing right there. To begin with, I don't know. It just for me, it wasn't that big of an issue, but I get it. Like, you know, I understand it. I'm not going to kill the kid for doing it. I'm not going to kill Tony for what he did. Probably shouldn't do it, as we've mentioned, uh, but I don't think it's the end of the world. I just thought that uh, it was it was <laughs> high energy. I mean, I like chippiness, so like none of that really bothered me. It's just I, I guess I didn't take as much exception to that that specific bat flip uh, as as some others did. Aside from bat flips, Eric Kane, uh, there there were some other things that took place in game two. Uh, we talk about Auburn's top of the ninth inning. Do tip your hat to Tennessee. They battled back in the bottom of the ninth. They, they tried to come back and win it. Cortland Lawson led off the bottom of the ninth with a home run, made it a two-run game. 
and then Jarrell Ortega is able to reach with one out. And <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Eric, there's no way this team is going to pull this off. They, they've done some some pretty stupid, mind-blowing things. But if they pull this win off, just go ahead and hand them the national championship trophy. Uh, but Jarrell Ortega singles with one out. He uh, brings Jordan Beck to the plate with one out. Beck represents the tying run. It's exactly what you want. And he pops out to center for the second out. And then you still have Drew Gilbert, two outs. Jarrell Ortega still on. Gilbert representing the tying run. Gilbert battles but flies out to left to end the game. So a uh, big difference. Tennessee did have 10 hits, but the difference was they were two for 10 with runners in scoring position. They scored early but kind of struggled in those middle innings to get the bats going. I felt that I felt like they were going to come back and win it last night. I really <laughs> did. I, I, I mean, again, it, it, you would think stats to tell you trends to tell you they weren't going to do that, obviously, but just knowing this team and knowing that they never lose until they actually lose. And the way, the way the ninth inning started for Tennessee in the bottom of the ninth, I'm like, okay, okay. Oh, here's the sign run, but you know, it, it is what is and credit Auburn, you know, credit Auburn for coming back and, and, and winning this baseball game. The big, uh, you know, the, the big shot there in the ninth inning, three runs in the fourth in, or in the fifth inning, excuse me. Auburn's a good baseball team. And when you we leave pitches over the plate like that hanging, they're, they're going to take advantage of it. When you uh, are not making your spots on the mound, you're not pitching the way that uh, you should be, they're going to make you pay. And that's a big reason why they're 31-win team so far this season. But I did think Tennessee was going to come back and win simply because, again, this team is just so good. Yes. I, I When Jarrell Ortega singled, I thought they were going to win. Yeah. Because you, you brought Beck up to the plate representing the tying run. You, you brought Gilbert up representing the tying run. It, it felt like those guys were going to make something happen. And and even if, even if they got on base, Trey Lipscomb was coming up representing the winning run. So yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I, I did think that Tennessee was going to win. Now, I said it last week at Florida. It, it never feels like this team is actually going to lose until they actually lose the game. Uh, so uh, the the only other noteworthy thing from game two is Blake Tidwell did not look good. He entered the weekend with one walk for the season, and he ended up walking four over 2.2 innings. Can't get out of the third inning. Just did not have command whatsoever. He threw 55 pitches, only 30 were strikes, and uh, it, it was interesting. I, the, Tony Vitello, his, his thought process was while he was at Florida, Tony said that Blade knew that he was on a pitch count. Uh, and what was told to me is that Blade was on a 75 pitch count and Blade pitched like he knew he was on a pitch count. So he he was going out there attacking hitters because he knew that at some point he was coming out, out of the game regardless, and he better yeah. get to work if he wanted to last several innings. And then fast forward to this weekend against Auburn, I'm assuming that the, there was no pitch count. Uh, by the way, Tony talked, and Blade knew that he was no longer on a pitch count and didn't go out there and attack in the same fashion and that's what led to his command being off but uh that, that was the other noteworthy thing Camden Sewell looked good coming in and, and calming the storm having to come in there in, in the third inning get Tennessee out of a jam and he made a heck of a play man swinging bunt bare hands it as his body's going towards third and is still able to to get a pretty speedy runner 
out at first base to get out of the inning. That that was terrific. Uh, he pitched 4.1 innings, and uh, he, he did allow three runs on two hits uh, and two walks, but he also struck out two. He, he did a good job of really calming the storm after Blake Tidwell put Tennessee in an unfortunate and, and surprising situation there in the third inning. I thought Sewell was awesome. Yeah, sure, he gave us some runs in the fifth inning, but you're exactly right. Put him in a situation there in the third, couldn't even escape the third, and you're calling in your guy to come out there and give you some quality innings like Sewell you know, does. That piggyback approach, it worked great at Florida last weekend. Um, that play was incredible you just referenced. I mean, t- talk about gold glove. Uh, so I-, I thought he was – thought he pitched really, really well. Again, gave up some runs uh, there in the fifth inning, but, you know, Tennessee was – able to have uh, its back and, and able to give them the lead right back. And, uh, you know, uh, another half inning later, I guess it was. So, uh, you know, Blade said, well, just, uh, he just was not accurate. He was, he was missing his spots. Um, he did not look like the Blade said, well, that we have seen in, in, you know, in last year or so far this season. And uh, it, it kind of happens. The walks were obviously a huge issue. Three strikeouts to four walks and two innings and two thirds. So you hope that he gets back on track. I'm sure that he will. Everybody has a bad outing every now and then. And as soon as it's kind of like what you said, you you take the training wheels off and just kind of like, okay, what do I do with all this newfound freedom, right? Maybe that was kind of the, the situation that would play Tidwell on Saturday night. And Tony did mention something mechanical that Blade wasn't doing a good job of. Uh, I'm, I'm failing to remember off the top of my head. I, I want to say it was something along the lines of uh, his glove side was flying open. So, I mean, if, if that was also contributing, then seems like it'd be something that, that they could easily fix uh, yeah. going into Kentucky next week. And I'd rather know the problem and be able to address it than have to try and figure out what the problem is. But seems like they were on top of it, just uh, a mindset going into the game and, and maybe a mechanical thing uh, that, you know, Frank Anderson will get ironed out. That is for sure. Going back to game one, uh, it's amazing. O- only this Tennessee baseball team, Eric, can score 15 runs in two innings and it be the last thing that we really talk about the Knox bombers six home runs you know I like that (laughs) I know you like that you wrote that I'm looking at it right now six home Uh, runs in innings seven and eight (laughs) Uh, a grand slam two home runs from Gerald Ortega two home runs from Evan Russell being out hit what nine was it nine to three entering the seventh Mm-hmm. Again, it's just like I, I, nothing they do surprises me anymore. Uh, that was a spectacle for sure. I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, around the horn, you thought Tennessee was going to lose that game until the seventh, right? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, just wild what, what, what this lineup is capable of in a short amount of time for sure. Eight runs in the seventh inning, seven runs in the eighth inning. Uh, the, the seventh inning was more dramatic. Uh, the the eighth inning was okay. This is just stupid, and <laughs> in that seventh inning, they were four. They were trailing four to two, entering the seventh. They they couldn't tally any hits. They they were being out hit by Auburn nine to three, going into the seventh, and Evan Russell leads things off with a bloop double down the left field line. Seth Stevenson then gets up in singles. Uh, to set up Cortland Lawson for an RBI single that made it a one-run game. Uh, Christian Moore then singles and and sets the scene for Jarrell Ortega with, with no outs. And Ortega's at-bat has to be one of the best at-bats of the season, Eric. Uh, Eric and I talked about Auburn's two big pitchers 
out of the bullpen in our preview uh, pod, Blake Burkhalter and uh, Skipper Carson. Uh, Carson there. Skipper, yeah. Yeah, Carson Skipper, Skipper Carson. Tomato, tomato, right? Same thing. Uh, <laughs> McKee and, and Ben, yes, them, you are correct. Yes, and both of them pitched on, on Friday. And something I said on the preview pod is like, hey, these guys pitched every single game last weekend against South Carolina and pitched a ton. And, and not only did they pitch a ton last weekend, but they pitched a ton this season in, in general. And at some, at some point, that's going to catch up. And this was the weekend it caught up to them. Uh, Carson Skipper did not look like Carson Skipper uh, on that Friday game. Blake Burkhalter, and this is getting to the Jarrell Ortega at bat that was so tremendous. Uh, he He's injured. Looks like he hurts his hamstring. And Ortega goes down 0-2. Trainers have to go look at Burkhalter, and that took quite a bit of time to, to go check on him. It looked like he was going to come out of the game. The, the way he was talking to the trainers, I, I thought he was coming out, uh, Eric. And so Ortega has to sit through that delay, and then on the first pitch after the delay, he hits a grand slam that gives Tennessee a 7-4 to four lead. All pandemonium rains down. Uh, and then it just spirals out of control from there for Auburn. Evan Russell hits a three-run home run later in that inning uh, to make it a, a 10-4 game after Drew Gilbert and Trey Lipscomb hit the back-to-back singles. And then you get into the eighth inning, and the eighth inning is, like I said earlier, it was just like, okay, this is really stupid. What what in the hell is happening right now? And the floodgates just completely opened. Blake Burke hits a solo home run. Jarrell Ortega hits his second home run in two innings. Blake Burke and Jarrell Ortega go back-to-back. Jordan Beck hits a double. Drew Gilbert singles. And then Trey Lipscomb hits a a two-run home run. Uh, Evan Russell hit his second home run, (laughs) a two-run homer after Logan Steenshire walked. It it was just one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in a baseball game in in quite some time at least. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and going back to the Grand Slam, the amount of mental toughness it takes to stay dialed in and locked in, because that was a couple of minutes. I mean, it took forever mid at bat to, to stay with their process, to say to stay just like I said, absolutely dialed in looking for the pitch and, you know, playing the mind games and all that stepping back in the box and to go yard first pitch back. Gosh, I mean, just, just incredible. He's having he's on quite a run right now. Drill Ortega. He really is. And uh, it's it's been really really fun to watch, but that overall just just that whole sequence, and then Blake Burke, a, a guy that we spoke on Friday night, just can't even can't even find the bats in this lineup, right? I mean, he'd be playing probably starting on just about every other team out there as as a freshman, and he can't even he can't even find a bat right now. Pinch hit, just a a, a piss missile. I mean, just incredible. I mean, it was. I, I, do you have the? Do you remember the stats on that? I'm putting you on the spot now. You might not remember, but do you remember the stats from that the other night? I mean, just it was will, incredible. Yes, it, it, a it was not a piss missile. It was a piss bomb. It is <laughs> is, is, is is what yeah. that one was. I, I want to say it was 434 feet. I, I'll look it up. But it, it was just. <laughs> It, it was stupid is what it was, Eric. I mean, you, you said it perfectly. We talked about it on Friday. Uh, the, the guy can't crack the lineup, no. and here he is. The The timing of the home run wasn't as impressive as Jarrell Ortega. It, it was a pretty easy situation for Blake Burke. 10-4 ball game late. You're pinch hitting. What do you have to lose? 
but the actual home run, the yeah. the, <laughs> the actual distance was, I mean, it, it was the, the most impressive home run of the night. And Tony has said that like, Hey, he may have the most natural talent of anybody on the team. And that guy can't get in the lineup. And you're talking about Gilbert. You're talking about Jordan Beck. You're talking about Trey Lipscomb. You're talking about Moore, Chris Moore. I mean, you're talking about Jared Dickey. I mean, you're talking about all these guys, Jarrell Ortega. That's saying something, too. And, and in case you missed uh, Around the Horn Friday night and uh, you maybe weren't watching the game at the time, I mean, you know, Chris Burke said on the broadcast, that was very Ken Griffey-esque. I mean, again, he's not about overreacting, not calling Blake Burke Ken Griffey Jr., but the swing and the shot and just everything that encompassed that moment, very King Griffey-esque. And I'm just sitting back there like, well, okay. I mean, that's you, – you don't just say that, right? And, you know, I, I thought that that was quite the compliment as well. And he's not wrong. It, his yeah. swing looks like Blake Burke. Or Blake Burke's swing looks like Ken Griffey Jr. swing, <laughs> I, 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 I should say. And, and that's what Chris Burke is saying. Yeah. Not that Blake Burke is going to be – Ken Griffey Jr. He, that's not what he's saying. Mm -hmm. he, he's just saying his swing looks like Ken Griffey Jr.'s, and it does. It, it, it really looks like Ken Griffey Jr. You ask anybody who's got the prettiest swing in baseball, or you know, if you're making the back when you were a kid, you're making your own character on the show or whatever, and you you want the batting stance of the swing. It's always Ken Griffey Jr. It, it's again that that's such a compliment. Yes, it it is the smoothest swing of all time. Is that your fit? tangent real quick is, is that mm. your favorite batting stance of all time oh yeah the swing the stance for sure ken griffey really my mm. i look i love ken griffey don't get me wrong it's the coolest ever but my favorite as a kid was gary sheffield's oh, i i hated that I, too, too much <laughs> too, too, too much crap going on like that julio franco it's like all right let's get up there and hit a baseball let's not get up there and do all this nonsense right i mean so the, 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 there's a there's a little waddle with griffey but i mean there's a little waddle with everybody but not to the extent of all those guys yeah, not, not Gary Sheffield uh, wiggle <laughs> wave back there. Mm. The, 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 the batting stance that I hated the most was Kevin Euclid's. I mean, oh, just, I, yeah, it was disgusting. What are we yeah. doing? Just absolute <laughs> stupidity. When I was in high school, that this was more my era of growing up and the players I grew up on. When Robinson Cano was a Yankee, I loved Robinson Cano. And you want to talk about smooth swings? He's got one of the smoothest swings of all time. Just so easy, cool, and calm. I, I loved him when, when he was a Yankee, and then he wanted to go do steroids uh, with the Mariners in Seattle, and I have not liked him since. And now he plays for the Mets, and I really don't like him. Also, you know, in case you want to mark off another one on the bingo board here, not a Hall of Famer by any stretch of the imagination, but he's actually a manager right now, which is huge. Another batting stance favorite of mine, uh, Mark Kotze, really liked his batting stance. Of course, he spent a couple of seasons with the Braves. That's why I know him. But now he's a manager of the uh, the Oakland A's. Anyways, aside from our our tangent that I do love so much, uh, just to to put a bow on on Game One and the the series, uh, Tennessee scored 15 runs on 16 hits in the seventh and eighth inning. They did so on six home runs. And funny enough, their sixth home run, Eric, was the 100th home run of the season just the 42nd game and it surpassed on Friday night when, when they hit the fourth home run of the game, it was the 98th of the season. And that tied last year's team's home run total in 26 fewer games. 
just I think, absolute stupid stuff. I think I saw a stat. Um, maybe it was on the broadcast this weekend, but Tennessee's on pace right now with the home runs to finish, I believe, seventh best in the history of NCAA single season, which is, again, that's not like it's top three, top five, but I mean, it's top two. I mean, that, that's quite the accomplishment, you know, to be done in the history of baseball at the college level. So it's a lot of home runs. It is a, it's a lot of uh, piss missiles and not so many piss bombs, but there was, there's been a couple this year, including Friday night. Yeah, and on Sunday when Jordan Beck hit his piss bomb, uh, yeah. they are going to shatter uh, the, their own record. The, the program mm-hmm. record is 107. They finished with 100 on Friday night. Cortland Lawson hit 101 on Saturday. They hit two on Sunday, so they're at 103. And Realistically, the whole- they could they can get there by, uh, by by this time next week, by next Sunday yes. night when we're talking. Yeah. Yes, I, I I mean, they may do it Tuesday night against Alabama A&M uh, <laughs> or at least uh, tie it. But uh, the what I was going to say is that they have the rest of May, the rest of the regular season, still a lot of regular season baseball left, uh, about 15 games or so. They have Hoover and the NCAA tournament, and they're four away from tying the program record for home runs in a season. Just really, really silly. I uh, do want to touch on the pitching from Friday night's game, uh, Chase Burns got the start, and 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 Chase was pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say it was his best work. Um, he he was good early, able to work out of some jams early, and then able to work out a jam or so uh, late. Um, but what was most impressive about Chase Burns's outing, and I, I just forgot about it until now, until I looked at my notes. That that's what happens when you have a million things happen over the weekend when he got out of that bases loaded jam don't alcohol kids don't alcohol that's what happens <laughs> yes, with the alcohol yes don't don't drink the alcohol or do drugs um but when he got out of that jam that is the most impressive thing he has done all season bases loaded no outs and he has to face number two number three and number four in auburn's lineup and the, the second guy is statistically the best hitter in baseball, in, in college yeah. baseball, and Sonny Deshera, and he strikes out all three to get out of the bases loaded, no outs, jam. That, that's just it, – it's ridiculous. I mean, that's stoned, right? I mean, that, that's, that, that's pitching – like he's done a lot of this year. I mean, that's pitching above your age. Um, that, that, that was huge. I thought he was fine. Yeah, I mean, w- w- was, he, was he great? Was he the best we've seen this year? Absolutely not. The reason he only lasted through five or the, he only lasted you know into the six before he was pulled – um, in 97 pitches. And so he was up there. You walk three, you strike out nine and, and that, and, you know, through five, that's, that's when you're pitching, you work into jams and everything and get yourself out. That's why the pitch count gets up. So I thought he was fine, but I think more so than anything, Ben, it's the confidence. Now this is two straight starts following t- a two start episode to where he just didn't look like himself and, and, and working yourself into that jam and then working yourself out early in the game with the heart of the order. And again, like you said, Delusia, the best hitter in the SEC statistically at the plate. What do you think that's doing for him confidence-wise? I mean, that, that's got, I mean, after again, coming off a stretch where he was not pitching his best ball, I think it's huge for him anyway. And he's a, he's a freshman. He's a young guy. So I thought, I remember when that happened, I said, okay, that, you know, put an X by that. Let's remember that, you know, maybe in a month or two, we can say, remember that time he worked out of that jam against Auburn, you know, in the bottom of the, what was, what inning was it? Second, third, I don't even remember. Third, I um, think. Yeah, so I, I thought that was huge. That was that was freaking impressive. 
Two other things I think are worth mentioning. Will Mabry didn't have a, a Will Mabry-esque weekend. I, I'm I'm not worried about it. He'll, he'll be fine. Um, but worth noting, at least, pitched Friday, gave up three runs, uh, then was put in an unfortunate situation on Saturday, walked the only batter he faced after uh, he entered with a 1-0 count. So disadvantage there and wasn't able to bounce back and and get the batter there. So uncharacteristic weekend for Will Mabry. I I think he'll be perfectly fine. It's baseball. These things happen. Just look at Luke Lipsius, Golden Sombrero, 0 for 4, four strikeouts on Saturday, and then has a terrific game on Sunday. It's, It's baseball. It happens. The best of the best look awful multiple times <laughs> a week and, and a month, whatever you want to word it. So that, that was a little weird. It is hey, the how most, about, go ahead. I was going to say, it's the most humbling sport. You, you can be the yep. hero again, and then you can go 0 for 4 the next day. There's always another game, right? Yes. Ba- baseball is so stupid that Jordan <laughs> Beck can, can look awesome against Auburn, and he could show up to the ballpark on Tuesday against Alabama A&M and go 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. Yeah, it's baseball. And, and he's a guy that's going to be a top 10 pick. And Tony Vitello said he might be the most explosive hitter in baseball today. And that guy might go 0 for 3. It's a possibility. I, I wouldn't bet on it. I'd be yeah. surprised, but it wouldn't be the, the craziest thing ever. Um, so, it, like you said it perfectly, it's baseball. It's the most humbling sport there is. How about Mark McLaughlin continuing to, to climb up the, the totem pole of trust? Two innings there, picks up the win. Uh, one inning was after Tennessee exploded. To, to take the lead, but he came in when Tennessee was trailing and, and kept the score at, at what it was. So, uh, Will Mabry, Redmond Walsh, didn't look like themselves. They'll be fine going forward. But Camden Sewell continues to, to look really, really great out of the bullpen. Just set, something about the second half of the season for Camden Sewell. Maybe he just hates playing baseball in the cold weather. And then, look, I feel you, Cam. Now, that's the one thing I don't miss about playing baseball is playing in the cold. So maybe he just needs the, the weather to be warm for him to, to really turn it up a notch. But uh, he continues to get better and better each weekend. And then Mark McLaughlin, Ben Joyce, really shooting up the, the totem pole of trust in the Tennessee bullpen. We spoke on this before, but I think Mark McLaughlin might arguably be the most underrated guy on this team. Again, there there are plenty, and we're not going to have this discussion again, but uh, McLaughlin, super underrated, but you're right, continues to get those opportunities. He has a distinct role on this team. He absolutely does, and he just continues to, to cement it uh, each and every time that he goes out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that uh, this weekend overall, man, it, it, it just – Auburn's a good team, and this is what Tennessee's doing to good teams. You saw the extremes. You saw Friday night, what it's capable of doing against a really, really good team late in a ball game. It dropped a game, which is okay. That's baseball. It happens. But it responds in a major way on uh, on Sunday, and, and you saw how Tennessee was able to win a close game there and how it was able to do it. So being the way he looked on Sunday, cruising through there, Ben Joyce, the, what, what he was able to do, silencing that lineup, again, with a really, really good hitting lineup, just continues to show Tennessee is a good ball club and they're beating good teams. Auburn is a good team. We said it Thursday. We're standing here Sunday. Auburn is a good team and I expect those guys to contend for a spot, uh, you know, regional, super regionals, and maybe even more. The other thing that we do need to mention, and this was the second of the two that I wanted to bring up, I thought Tennessee did well against Sonny Deshera. Like he he had his one moment, the, the two-run home run on Saturday, and that was it. Over three on Sunday with a walk, 
on, on Friday, he was one, one for three. three with a single and, and a walk. And then again, a Saturday, he got you and two run home run proved to be the difference in the game. One for two, two RBIs, uh, three walks. So like not saying he had a bad weekend, but if you would have told me that those would be his numbers going into the weekend, I would have signed up for it all day long. I just like watching him play, man. I just like that's debatable. I don't know that I like watching him play. Some real now, no disrespect to the name I'm about to say, but just the comparisons. The some real Prince Fielder esque over there. Just oh, how dare you? Just getting it done, how right? I you. mean, just swing, just a great hitter, getting it done. Prince is so much more flexible than Desher is. That is such a way better athlete. True. Yes, but like, I mean, just a just a just a baseball player, man. It was I, I enjoyed watching him this weekend. I really did. The, the disrespect for Prince Fielder is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. He he was one of my favorite non-Yankees when he was in his prime. Really? So I, I mean, I like Prince, Prince Fielder. I mean, I, I liked him, but it's just kind of I love like, his yeah. personality. He, yeah. He's a fun style of play. He hits the ball a, a thousand feet. And uh, I feel the, like his the, prime was like really, really, really short-lived. And, and that's, again, that's baseball too. I think he like battled injuries. Yeah, he did. Of course he did. Uh, they usually do. Like, he, he was one of the best in the league, for sure, for, like, a little tiny window. And then it was just kind of like, uh, there he is. Then he, then it was done. It was just like he vanished. I don't know. It was weird. The other reason I like Prince is the ESPN body, the- Maggie, uh, body, uh, the ESPN body, naked body, whatever they call that. That's why. <laughs> is that it? I can't even say did- it. I Obviously, I didn't look at it. Uh, debatable I, I think you did look at it and you're you're so flustered you can't even remember the name of it but uh yes i did love the body, the, the body mag of prince fielder i have it hanging up here in my bonus room as okay. a, a, cool. a matter of, of of fact but uh no the other reason i like prince fielder is because the guy who pitched to him in the home run derby when he won the home run derby sandy guerrero uh, i i took hitting lessons from in high school that's cool. So, yeah, during, during the offseason before my season would start, he'd take me up to old Joe Davis Stadium there in Huntsville, Alabama, and would throw to me uh, down in the batting cages. You so, want to meet somebody famous? Ask Ben McKee. Chances are he went to high school with him, played football with him, got hitting practice from him. It's just the dude. The dude's always like, oh, yeah, you know, that guy that just, just tossed eight scoreless for the Braves. Yeah, I played I played high school baseball with him. Oh, yeah, that guy that ran the football for the Titans. Yeah, he was one of my best friends in high school. It's like, who do you not know, man? You're so popular. Well, the, the one guy I do know is the Carson Newman Bojangles Player of the Week. Multiple times. Him. Multiple times. Not just once. <laughs> multiple times. So you're darn, you're darn tooting about that. Darn tootin'. Okay. Okay. We're, Darn we, tootin'. We, we got to get out of here. This this is getting ridiculous. I'm going on vacation this week, so hey. Must be nice. I haven't been on vacation I, since last July. Same here. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, you are a fact. Last thing, uh, for real, on the, on the way out the door, this is just a stat on, on the way out the door. Eric, Tennessee now at 40 wins on the season. 40 and 4. Uh, Tennessee, 40 wins in 44 games, ties the 2000 South Carolina team for the fewest games played to hit the 40-win mark by an SEC team since the league expanded in 1992. That, that is just another ridiculous stat that you can add to the list this season.
Yeah, I was gonna say it's not a list anymore. It's a book. It's a book, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really, really, really impressive. And so, I mean, there'll, there'll be more. There'll be more notes like that next weekend whenever Tennessee does whatever it does. Yes, and and this week they get a Kentucky team that they should sweep, quite frankly. And uh, for for those who forgot, this weekend series is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday from here on out and until Hoover, and it may even be the case in, in regional and super regional play as well. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three more weekends before we head to Hoover. Eric mentioned it; he'll be on vacation. He he may be on the uh, Kentucky preview pod. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Somebody else may be with me. Maybe get old Austin Price on, on here to preview that series with me. Actually, I may be, I may bring Shumper back. Quite I was going to say, get, hey, 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 give the people what they want. Bring old Shumper back. I, I doubt there'll be Wi-Fi on my little, uh, my little beach house I'm going to, but we can try. But, hey, give the people what they want. We'll, we'll Shump Mania, get them back on, and it'll be the best rated podcast you have. <laughs> All right, Eric Kane's going to the beach this week. I'm going to Lexington, Kentucky. We'll be back with you at, at some point this week. It's Eric, about, enjoy about your va- the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, enjoy your vacation this week, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Sorry I got a little wacky towards the end, man, but I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again uh, more baseball on Sunday. And the more we do this on Sunday, the more wackier it will be because it has been a long weekend and the weekends will continue to be long. So for Eric Kane, I am Ben McKee. We hope you all. Have a great week.